Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Uh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. Today on the show we have Vivian Lahaney, former theater actor and current voiceover actor and audiobook recording artist. She even has pseudonames for her commissioned adult theme books under Nola Zandri and Lily Collingwood. She is with us for a conversation from her Connecticut retreat. Welcome to the show, Vivian. Thank you so much for coming on my little Babel BS and Beyond. Um, for those PC viewers, we all know what the BS stands for. And it's not, you know, never mind. Oh, well, I'm going to ask later. Okay. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. So good. I haven't seen you since uh, Neva Yorki. I know. Yeah. Just a little talky talk, but that's about it. How long has that been? Four years now? It's been uh, three solid years. That you've been back out there. Yeah, three solid years. Uh, I came back here, Vivian, to to regroup with myself to actually put this uncaged the stand in story film with a production. I started to do it in New York while I was doing the podcast, starting out there, and then I realized that the the crews were a little rough, and it was too difficult to do it there. So I thought I'm going to regroup and do it back here and uh, kind of kick out my American tenants who worked in the entertainment <laughs> business. They were not happy and then moved back into my house. So after living in a um, very nice one bedroom condo, as you know, in New York City, I, I still felt a little uh, stifled and I wanted I to come back to four levels of, uh, you know, a couple of office floors of office space and uh, comfort and, and a guest room. And because I wanted that and I needed the outdoor space where I was suffering in New York because of it. We had a great patio, rooftop patio overlooking Central Park. It's not enough. It's not enough. And I realized how much I value outdoor space. I only realized that when I moved to New York. And now that I have this constant, you know, two patios, uh, even in late fall, I just open the doors for air and I yeah. can ride my bike and I have two bikes and I enjoy going down the bike paths and, and I'm right in the film district here. So this was the right place to actually regroup bring in some little tidy whitey boys and get it all <laughs> together because they're very good at production. And uh, But I wanted my vision out there with my little Greekness, with my little disco, my little frappy, happy, cappy stuff. And I wanted to do it here <laughs> that would kind of reflect my my personality as best as possible, even though it, sometimes it goes without, you know, it's, it's misrepresented or misunderstood is what I should say, uh, especially to a younger generation. They're, they're really not you know, aware of, of this style of personality. Whereas our generation, it was the yeah. norm on TV from the Dean Martin roasts to, uh, to the Don Rickles to everybody else on TV. It was, and that's kind of like where I gravitated and, and my personality evolved from that. And especially when I moved to LA years ago. So yeah. New York was just another part of it, but in the adult world. And, uh, and uh, you know, I bumped into Jackie Mason when I lived in New York. A Are few you times. No, he lived right across the street from me. So he lived in the Carnegie 
house condos right. at 56th and 6th yep. and I was on 55th and 6th and I would see him on the streets with his dyed black curly hair so it used to be red red but it's like yes. blackish red now he's like 117 I years know. old and he walks back and forth with his little shopping bags and like does anybody know who I am does anybody know who I am do you recognize me <laughs> of course I'm the only guy who <laughs> recognizes him people walk by him along 57th street and he's just like hello Hello, I was a big star. I did seven nights sold out at the Schubert Theater. And I would just look at him and he's like, you know, four foot two. And it's like, there's Jackie Mason. I seen him twice in concert. And now he's walking the streets next to me. It was too it's funny. Kind of a, not a cautionary tale. It's just, it, it does put things in perspective. You know, it really, that, that yeah. you, you hit these heights and this is the kind of business where you just, you don't have a lot of control over, mm -hmm. you know, how it's going to go or where it's going to go. And I think what you're doing, the idea is you keep moving and you keep yeah. finding whatever it is that you want to do. And I also, it makes sense to me that you've relocated up there and that you've been able to create the movie being mm -hmm. in that space. Because I think, I think having some room to breathe, when, once you hit a certain point in life, I think when you're in your twenties, you can be fully creative in a place mm -hmm. like New York or Los Angeles. But then I think as you get older, you have to, you have to know where home is, you know, because yes. then you can get to a place where you can, you know, think outside the box, you can relax, but then you can work, you know? Yes. That's exactly how I feel. You've said it a thousand percent the way I felt it, Vivian. I love being in New York, but I just felt there was so much noise yeah. that, and I distract myself all day with my inner thoughts. And then there's the exterior noise of five garbage trucks at night on Sixth Avenue. And yeah. uh, I'm not a sound sleeper. If I hear a mouse, I'm up. And so to me, I really spent two years of not sleeping in New York City. I loved every minute of it. I called it my best, ex my best adult experience of my life. But I also needed, again, to regroup, to come home, to touch terra firma, to yeah. feel like there's grass and trees and parks and little cafes and there's quiet around me. Yeah. And then I can think and I can bounce into the noise and play and create, but this has got to be the base. And I have a lot of room to base myself here so I can hold court with many people and we have that space. To me, it's really important. And I can invite guests over and that's also important to me I to know. be able to have that. That's the Greek in you, Mr. Social. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what Mr. we do Sociable. best. You know, we are maitre dicks, as I say, <laughs> as I say in my book that'll be coming out soon, even though I'm way behind on it. I do refer to the point that I was a maitre dick and a manager um, because I was never formally trained in either. And I just kind of <laughs> stumbled upon it. So I consider myself an offbeat maitre d' and an offbeat manager. So I, I, I don't really... I, I didn't really learn any about wines and stuff. I was just kind of like a glorified host who actually made a good <laughs> living. And then I became a bigger host for a superstar named Nick Cage. And to me, he was my only client. So that's why he used to refer to me as the maitre d' of the set, which was easy because I was always a maitre d'. And I only had one damn client, Vivian, and it was him. And I, I used to have like... 200 people in a restaurant, they were all my clients and I had to make sure I knew who everybody was and how they were taken care of. Now I only had one guy, he was a bigger than life guy, but bigger than I didn't, he was very easy to deal with. It was, and I say it over and over again, I was a damn diva. Like it was all about me and my hair products and my lips and my makeup and he just didn't care. He was like yeah, on the ball. You, brought, you never brought that. I mean, you and I met when I, I um, came to visit Alison Rosenzweig, who was producing mm -hmm. Wind Talkers. Yes. And 
you were so friendly, but the consummate professional throughout. And so I know what you're saying. And, and yeah. I, I know that, that that is a facet of you, but you were always on set. Just yeah. I, I, everybody knew that they could rely on you, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is the truth. And that's what Allison had said back then. And, and even Nick said it over and over again, and even in letters and cards. It was, I was really on the ball. Vivian. Oh, yeah. I knew every shot. I knew every angle. I knew how long the shots were going to take. I knew how much downtime Cage would have in between setups, depending on the setups, if they were going to go close or wide or, you know, a double decaf, half cap shot. I had to know <laughs> everything because I had an entourage of 12 people depending on me hair, makeup, wardrobe, stunt guys, and especially the big guy. And they expected me while I'm on set to not be asleep. They thought that I should be alert. And I was alert with the producers. I was alert with the ADs and with the crew around me. I kind of figured it all out. And for years and years, that's why I was kind of carried for that decade of working with him. And it really was learning on the job for you, wasn't it? I mean, I listened a little bit to, I listened to the whole of it, to your, um, uh, your episode with Adam Beach. And oh. um, it brought me right back to to that time. It was that's a great episode. Yeah, yeah. He's um, actually weirdly my biggest fan. I, I'm so, not surprised at all. I posted something last week on on social media <laughs> things, and this guy responded to every single social media thing. He couldn't stop laughing. He loved it. So he is my biggest fan. He's been in my house here in Toronto. He's visited me. Uh, I've been friends for him for the last twenty years. Uh, so it's it's been we've had a good friendship. Uh, which is great, you know, to say that in the position of being a stand-in, I was not regarded as a stand-in. I was kind of like a hybrid actor. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as an actor, I know to have someone rely who, when you're, when you've got your close up to have somebody who's responsive and listening to you, I mean, that's more than a stand-in. That's you bringing yourself fully as an actor and as a human being. And I, uh, I'd forgotten that. I knew about it at the time, and then I'd forgotten it until I heard the podcast. Yeah, that's why I call it my cage wage world. Yeah. <laughs> because I was that guy. And, yeah. and And it was instrumental to getting all those perks and getting flown around the world and, and being taken care of because they knew that I was going to deliver. So right. it was worth their bucks. And right, that to them, you know, you're on production. If you're not worth your dollar, they're ready to spit at you and throw you out. So if, if you don't show up on time or early, um, then you're done. Like yeah, you're not, not interested in known for their philanthropy. That's just true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we've lived it because you've been in the business a thousand years. And I luckily got out of the business. And, and so I, I tell my, my, my tech kids and people, it's just like. You liar. You're in the business. You just. No, well, I'm not so in the business. Now I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm like, a, a, I'm, on, I'm on the side right now. Kind of like a slice of lemon for your salmon, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just on the side. But <laughs> I'm making way, my way back in my on my own terms, Vivian, is what I'm doing. But it's kind of like the calling I should have always had. But I, I think that if I didn't have that experience of those years with that big boy, um, I couldn't do what I'm doing now. And I never really respect the fact that he was so good and dedicated to yeah, me and the entourage. Because how many actors care about their stand-ins or stunt guys or hair people? They could give a shit. This guy actually carried us through, made sure that we were taken care of, and everything was given to us. And were we worthy of it? I don't really know. But we made him look good. Yep. But in turn, he got... Uh, 
you got top notch, um, you know, a working team. But and he's um, no, no dummy, that guy. So no, I mean, he's super he, bright. Know, super so he bright. So he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing and who that he needed around that. him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And he had the right people at the time, yeah. you know, while he was going through that particular time. And it was a, a different world. And it was, I call it the last heyday of Hollywood. It truly Things was. Are, yeah. It's changed. You know, they, it's an entirely it's different completely. animal. It's a real grind now where back then there was there was some luxury in the business. And today it's uh, everybody's accused of wrongdoing before they even show up. <laughs> and they're cheap today more than and, ever before. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's like a sphincter tight wallet. And I wallet. think there's a real fear to take a chance on on ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, which is which is really sad. And that's why I was buying my way out of the business, Vivian, years ago. And I had to buy myself out of the business because I would be stuck in that position. So I opted for real estate and, and restaurants to get out of it. So I didn't have to golden think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody I know who's still in it is it's the golden. You, you make money when you work, but you, you suffer through it. And you I really thought, do. Yeah, it's very tough. Uh, so I'm glad I'm out of it in that respect. I kind of call my own shots now. And I think it's going to work out fine. I'm going to be a star as a senior now. So that's <laughs> I'm approaching senior. You know, in Florida, if you're 55 and over, you're a senior. So I'm technically a senior because I have a condo there. I don't want to talk about it. We aren't, we aren't <laughs> talking about that. We are eternally young. Yes. I am. And you're eternally in the business. So Vivian, I want to say now that now I babbled and BSed about me, you have been in the business for a thousand years, but you've been working for a thousand years um, nonstop. Can we just make that 997? A thousand yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. terribly you're old. Right. 997. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. You've been an audio book recording artist, I'm going to say, and a voiceover actor and a theater actor off off Broadway I would be like an off 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 Broadway which means Canada <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's, you that's are that's... yeah but it is when you're me but uh, <laughs> but you have been uh, working nonstop I just read that it said you're on your hundredth audio book coming up on it yep yep I actually have it mapped out for November yep really. Um, yeah. So, and actually that, uh, I did, uh, you know, you talked about matri, uh, matri Ding, matri dicking. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, uh, when I came into the city, um, I didn't, st I was acting all my life and, you know, mm -hmm. I would, would torment my babysitters by sitting them down, putting my younger brother and sister to bed and then making them sit down and watch me act out the cast album or oh. you know, from like uh, the Partridge family or something like that. I would do all the, the songs and so, um, it was in me for a long time, but, um, I, uh, it was important to my parents that I uh, get an education doing something else. So mm -hmm. that's when I met Allison Rosenzweig, who is our mm -hmm. vector, um, at yes. but, um, I didn't actually start actively. So I was acting all along and even in my twenties, but I had this like little suburban life that was making me miserable and depressed. And I was working as a writer and an editor at the time. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm dying, I'm dying. And so, um, I ended up joining a group in Westport, Connecticut, because I was living in the area at the time. And, um, this group had people like Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman's oh, wife, wow. um, Shirley Knight in it. These, these great actors from, you know, the, the, uh, the forties and fifties and, um, uh, 
they kind of shepherded, I joined this group and they shepherded young people, which I was at the time through the process. And there was a guy there who said to me at one point, uh, we did a reading and he said, uh, you should be doing voiceover. And I said, I would love to be doing voiceover. I have no idea. So he was kind enough to put me together with someone who helped me put together a voiceover reel. Mm-hmm. And she said, and these were the days when we used cassette tapes, you know, back like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And with the stuff that we did to promote ourselves. So I sent, I made a cassette tape, sent out 60 of them to various agents and then got a wow. call from ICM, which was just opening its scale department for voiceover in New York city. I literally, and this is just, again, one of, oh. you know, this it's luck. Yeah. You land yeah. at a certain place at a certain moment in time. And, um, Stephen R. Sieri was at ICM starting the department, and he said, come on in, and he read me, and he said, you know, if you're ready to go, I'll sign you, and so it was like literally being thrown into the deep end of the pool. ICM, just like that. Just like that. So I literally had no clue as to how difficult it could be, you know, and of course it did get more difficult down the road. Mm -hmm. I've had as we all do, you know, ebb and flow in my career. But yeah, uh, so I, it was probably, he was sending me out for about four, three or four months. And then I landed a Fruit of the Loom campaign and suddenly checks were coming in and I'm like, can I swear? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Holy fuck. (laughs) I can make, look at the money I can make doing this. I mean, again, that's also, by the way, commercials, as I'm sure you know, or you yeah. know, glean. That's also like the film industry that's changed entirely. Everything mm-hmm. has changed. I don't know that you can really make uh, the same kind of living that you could then. You know, a middle class, you could become a middle class actor. You could support your habit. And mm-hmm. instead of doing catering or, you know, waitressing, all that sort of thing, you know, you could, this is what you could do. And then you could go off on other auditions. So I'm going to keep, I probably should stop and let you ask. A no, question no, no, I, I, no, 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 I'm, no, I'm fascinated by this. I'm blown away that, that you had that opportunity so quickly and you realize that, I mean, you are making money. You get residual checks off the bat. You're like, you're this young little puppy. And yeah. all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is really hot, but you don't know where it's going to lead. And the work is really hard and, and it can be a real downer over time. It depends. And the money changes over the years, even though your work quality has increased, the dollars have decreased. And that's what you and I understand today that that's what it was. I was seeing it, forecasting it ahead of time and saying, I got to buy my way out of this. Yeah. But go on. So you started to work. You you were at the same time. Were you also working in theater? I was. I was doing. Um, I was with um, two different companies that sort of you know imploded as they will. You know, people. It, you start out fine, and then people end up at each other's throats. Some guys absconded with money. They were never allowed to work in equity again. The Ugh. guys around the company. So you know those highs and lows. Plus, I had also was leaving my first marriage and moving into the city, and I was now in my early thirties and mm. um, a little. You know, my voice, what they were calling a slightly damaged quality at the time, Hmm. um, the slightly damaged quality was in, but then it began to kind of move out again, because as you know, that's the other thing we deal with, the ebb Mm -hmm. and flow, changing trends, different sounds. So just as I was leaving my marriage and trying to settle in New York City, because I'd been commuting in from Connecticut for auditions and jobs. 
work began to dry up. I just was not landing commercial jobs in the same way. So that was scary and nerve wracking, but also kind of thrilling. I was subletting and, and moving around and I felt really kind of skin of my teeth, but I'm like, mm-hmm. well, this is also what it is. You know, I kind of fell into it. Not, I'm not a child actor, but in my twenties, I fell into, you know, a nice big pot of money and then yeah. suddenly it dried up. And Um, so I kept sort of taking classes. I'm a big advocate of classes always Mm -hmm. at every stage. And somewhere, uh, I moved agencies left ICM actually ended up closing down their scale department, but I'd left before then. The crazy thing is I am back now with Steven Arcieri, who signed me originally in his own boutique agency. Now we got back together. We got, we broke up, we got back together 15 years later. Um, love him and he's marvelous. Um, but I, in, in the interim, I'd moved over to, over to Abrams. And then hmm. this would have been 98 or 99. I don't remember when it was 97, 99, I guess it was. We went out on strike, SAG, hmm. uh, which was not SAG after at the time we went out on strike. And I'm a very big union person. I'm, I'm a big believer in the unions in the acting unions as well. But that strike, I feel sort of uh, happening at the same time as the internet was busting open. Uh, yeah. It fundamentally changed the Mm -hmm. commercial industry and the promo industry. Certainly in New York, we lost a lot of independent casting directors. They were the ones who went under, it seemed to initially. So just work was entirely different. And so we weren't going out at all. So for 10 Hmm. months, I went back to catering. Wow. There's a blow for you. It was. And it was the first time in my life I had to borrow money from my parents. I borrowed a thousand dollars to help cover rent over two months at one point. And then we came out of strike and mm-hmm. Abrams, they submitted my reel to the Today Show because the Today mm. Show was looking for a morning announce and nothing came of that. Three months later, I get a call from my agent and he said to me, uh, tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m., they need you over at Rockefeller Center. Can you be wow. there? I said, yep. I went in, I recorded, it was something like this. Tomorrow on Today, we'll talk to Nicole Kidman about her new movie and uh, what's up with the, you know, it would suddenly then go into some, I wish I had had a good, uh, you actually can go on my website and find those types of. I did. I listened to it and I loved your voice (laughs) and I wanted to ask you about the Today Show. I'm going to let you go on about it, but I was mind boggled because it's lasted what I think is 10 years, but you're going to expand on that. This morning on Today, the parties, Ripple Amates, and more. Celebrate 50 years of Playboy, only on Today on NBC. Today, throws a wedding. 10 years of I do's. Log on and tell us your love story. You could end up tying the knot live on Today. Vivian, you sound phenomenal. I would hire you in a second. That's why the Today Show kept hiring you. I thought, wow, she's perfect. Well, like, thank you. Yeah. So the tell me, go on was, about well, that. That was, this was a thing. There was no guarantee. You were eminently replaceable. Mm-hmm. And it literally worked like this, Marco, for the first few months. You and I replaced a woman who'd been there like six or seven years. And there was no rhyme or reason to why she wasn't doing it any longer. And then they brought in a guy and then he was out and they would literally do this. I would go in, I'd record for 20 minutes. I'd record like 
two uh, five-second spots that they would run, like during the soap operas. This is when we still had soap operas happening. Yes. When they doing the soap operas that afternoon, promoting the next morning's Today Show, who the guests were, um, like one 15-second spot and maybe one 20-second bump. So I'm getting paid for each of those spots and yeah. additional taglines. So what I didn't know, but I soon found out, was how much money there was in that. I, for the first time in my life, cleared six figures. But wow, good for you. I didn't, thank you. No, no, I didn't. I didn't have any idea. Um, and again, that's also changed. It's it's a completely different mm-hmm. thing. They would literally say to me, I'd walk out, they'd say goodbye, lovely to see you. And then I would go home and I would wait to find out if I got the call to come in for the huh. next day. It literally worked like this for three wow. months. And then September 11th happened. Wow. And I was on my way down to NBC, actually, when they stopped the subways. I was living, I had just moved into a new apartment at 101st Street on the Upper West Side. And Mm -hmm. literally I had no furniture and had no television. And my father had called me on the phone to say there was a strike. And so I'm really the first plane had hit at that point. So I'm like, I've got to leave dad. I'll talk to you later. Get down to the subway. Trains are running. Um, they drop us off at 76, 72nd street. That's where they stop the trains. And at this point I'm like, I still think I've got to get down there because I'm afraid to lose the job. You know, it's like, so I'm, I'm like running down there in sort of semi high heels because I'm young and an idiot. So my feet were blown out by the end of the day, but I got down there and everybody was out in the streets at that point. And then, you know, insanity generally, but then for the next three and a half months, NBC didn't call me at all, not once. And I'm like, well, it's done. And the reason why, again, you have no control over any of this. Of course. They only went with mail announce after that. And I think they were looking, I think they had a a thought. They got the word from LA. We need Mm -hmm. reassuring male voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, No frou-frou woman stuff. We, We don't, so that was that. And isn't that something their perception of what strength is, is a male dominated voice, very almost militant type of voice to bring back the country through national television in the morning and reassure those coffee sippers that there's men behind NBC, CBS and ABC. So you, Chicky Poo, are out to lunch. Isn't that isn't. But nobody ever tells you this. There's no because that's how they work. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you go with it and you sort of um, and fortunately, I had banked some money at that point um, because I'd been working um, for three and a half months and it was enough that I was OK. But again, I'm looking at this new apartment and I'm like, shit. Um, so mm. but then they called in January and then suddenly I'm also then doing nightly news and then I'm doing some of the promos for the soaps. So. And wow. that was, and then it was just a regular gig every morning for, I would go in, you know, around nine 30 in the morning to record the spots for the next day. And that lasted for straight for about seven years, which was oh my God. in some ways, but as I said, golden handcuffs, it meant that I basically stopped acting because I couldn't go out of town for shows. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd lose the job, you know, and so it became that thing. Wow. But at the same time, it was acting and it was acting on a commercial level, uh, on a voiceover commercial level. And uh, you can hone in on that craft and expand from that craft versus going into theater, which is lovely and rewarding internally, but there's no money. Right. And uh, you're not 
21 anymore and you need money and you need to live. And you are now the voice of promos for NBC. I remember Allison telling me that. I didn't understand. What do you mean the voice of promos for NBC? Right, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? And people don't know what it means. And that's why you have to explain it. Like, I, I read it in your resume and I didn't fully understand it. I started to listen to it. I understood it better. Yes. And because I'm a junkie for those morning shows, I tell, you know, my, my tech kids, I get up every morning, I buy coffee and it's like from 7 to 9 a.m. It's Good Morning America. It's today's show and it's a CBS uh, morning, CBS this morning. And I watch all three of them. I flip back and forth on all of them <laughs> for as long as I for as long as I can remember when I wasn't working. I just love them. I love that whole pop live. It has to be live TV for me. So live TV in the morning, you see all the celebs, you see all the people, and there you were, and it was you doing the promos for the next day, telling me that, you know, Madonna would be on the show the next day, or it's going to be J Lo, you know, on uh, on the um, you know on the on the Today Show on the Plaza right. singing, and I didn't realize it was you. That's phenomenal. Which is, of course the job of it. I mean, that's the notion that we should just be engaging your interests, but then you shouldn't think of us past that. You know, it literally is just that. So yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a fascinating world and it's a fascinating career. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. So, but with that, with that though, Vivian, do you regret doing that versus continuing an acting career. And I also saw your little acting chops in a couple of uh, films oh, uh, and stuff. Yeah. And and I, I personally think you are you need your own show, like a sitcom kind of show, like a real TV show. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, between Patricia Heaton, you know, Late Valley Harper type of female, that's where I kind of see you in that. That's uh, extremely I, flattering and I love it. Thank you. Yeah, but that's what I saw. And, it's, and you have all of that. And you're very present. And I looked for that as well uh, in what I saw. Um, but do you regret that you could have been that person? You could have been that TV person. You could have been Mrs. Everybody Loves Raymond. No, I mean, I, I, I it, uh, only because I'm not a big believer in regret. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I am the sum total of my experiences. And I think, uh, too, I've only recently come to an awareness that I'm not, I'm not ambitious the way I would, mm. I would need to be to pursue the type of acting career that would have satisfied me. And because of that, I would have been eternally miserable. And oh my God, I, that's a perfect know, way of stating it. I'm you I right was, now. Oh, you, you, so you get what I'm saying. 100%. Yeah. That's why I stopped it all. I yeah. would be eternally miserable without amount of commitment. No, yes. thank you. Right. And not yeah. always, you know, and the, the amount, you should pardon my French, the amount of shit yeah. that you have to swim through to get Ugh. a crack at or to maybe hook onto something that thrills mm-hmm. you, that really speaks to you. It's just, and so frankly, I'm going to cut to the chase, the audiobooks, yeah. when I landed there just back in 2015, finally, that is satisfying. Now, the, the short films that you've seen, the independent stuff, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'm rarely auditioning any longer. I'll do um, things when friends reach out to me or have referred me to someone else. I'm, and only because I just, um, my chops, my, my, my auditioning chops, that's its whole, that's a whole own, you know, its mm-hmm. own skill set. Yeah. And it's very rusty on that front. Oh, I, I'm, I'm beyond rusted. Work. But yeah. the auditioning is a different animal. So, 
Um, mm-hmm. But the is that funny you said that? Yeah. I have never been able to audition. I tell my tech kids, I freeze up and I <laughs> fail miserably. That's why I never made it as an actor. You know, I would just faint, you literally pass such, out. You've got such an easy, warm quality. Um, somebody's you're using a, we, a leaf blower next door. I, l- I love live live audio. Can you hear yeah. it? Are you? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, you're all right. Thank God. Okay, good. Um, they should be banned. Hard. <laughs> Um, one of the I, I freeze up recording. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so like totally. you'll walk in, you'll say hi, I'm Marco, and then you go. Burp. Yeah, nothing. Remember that little ca- cartoon in the Saturday mornings with the frog? Hello, my baby. How he pops out of the thing, the top hat. That's me when I'm not on camera. And then when I'm on camera, I'm the guy going ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> You would never know that I had any kind of personality. I'm just that ribbit, ribbit guy. And you're just like, why is this guy here? I was always that guy. That's why I failed miserably. That's why I ended up being a stand-in to the superstar. And that actually fed me because I realized, like I tell my tech kids, there's so much commitment to auditioning, let alone the acting part of it, just the audition, the prep like you, I'm, I was rusty and I wasn't well prepared and really I wasn't worthy. No, And, and it's no, funny that you right. said that. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't begrudge anyone who at all. And so when you ask me, sure, I would have loved it, but that would have been a different me. Do you know? It yes. Wouldn't be who me I am. too. So, um, and I can't, you know, as, as my acting coach and she's a dear friend too, has always said to me, Vivian, it's not coal mining. And I'm like, yeah. right. It's not coal mine. And look, I mean, I look at your beautiful place right now. I'm in, a, you know, I'm in a remote location speaking yes. to you. But, um, at the CIA uh, bunker <laughs> before, before Trumpet loses his toupee. <laughs> yeah. Outside. They're coming through the doors. Um, Don't get know, that leaf blower close to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> We're, see, look at how we're entertaining ourselves. Yeah, yeah. who uh, needs anybody else? Not at all. Not at all. So, so happy to be over 50. Oh, I know. Isn't it a joy? 50 oh and fabby. It's, it's uh, as I'm pulling my hair out of my face. Not pulling it literally yeah. out, fortunately, but just getting it out of the way of the, the headset. So tell me, so Vivian, so I agree with you with the acting chops. To have them, to commit, to work that hard, is it worth it? Maybe you'd succeed, maybe you wouldn't. Even if you succeed on a show, is it worth it a year into a show, for example? Will it make you more miserable? You're up at four o'clock in the morning. You're in some cold studio somewhere in L.A. You're working through the day. You're hoping you're going to keep that job for another six months. Then they fire you. Then you got to relocate. Yeah. Yep. It's like, to me, it's like a traveling carnival, only now you're not 21, you're 51. And, and you're it's like, separate. yeah, yeah, it's Aware not fun. Currency, you know, and so yes. it's not even just, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe. And that was also interesting to me when I was listening to your interview with um, Adam, your, your conversation with him, you know, mm-hmm. talking about his progression of his career and the highs and those, I mean, any, you, you can't have an illusion if you're going to embrace this type of creative lifestyle, you can't have an illusion about it being a steady climb. I, I don't know who it is that, you know, uh, Tom Cruise certainly had a good run of it, but even he. Yeah, but you know, at a you're point, looking at one out of a hundred. I always tell people, don't look at the one out of a hundred million 
look at the norm, you know, and that because it keeps you in a delusional state of mind and you're constantly pretentiously being optimistic. I'm not yeah. trying to be negative, but I'm a no. very big believer of realism. You you get up in the morning and you, you realize what's going on. Drink that cup of coffee, maybe a couple of shots of espresso for the real drifters. But, uh, you know, you're, <laughs> I was always realistic about my future and my lack of knowledge of the business and the and the acting business and the the lack of studying on my part. I'm thinking, who the fuck am I kidding? Then I'd be on set with Nick Cage and the guy shows up and it's like, boom. Yeah. He didn't miss a beat, a mark, a line, an exclamation mark. And I'm like, holy shit. All I'm doing is standing in and it's I'm fucking it up. So yeah, but remember, I can't too, imagine. For him, it was the family business, too. And yeah, so yeah, he grew yeah. up in the family business. I have an actor, actress yes. friend who used to say that um, of, of her own family. They were long, you know, her, her uncle, yes. her mother were all in it. But but there are lots of uh, lots of actors who are like that. Yes. They're on key, on par, on Always. time, and that's who they are. I knew that I wasn't that person. And, and I think you have to recognize that so you can make that switch before you become old and gray and you're on bitter. the shelf. And bitter and not... You know, you're like some worn out open can of peas, <laughs> you know, ready to be thrown nice out. We're bushy. spoiled. Yeah, we are <laughs> spoiled goods. So you have to recognize that and say, OK, what is the next strategy? Because I just can't be that dreamer because it's unrealistic. And, and I was always about realism. And whether I was a busboy or not, I didn't really care. But I had to be realistic with the position. And I think you're very much on par with that. And hence segueing into you got into audiobooks, yeah. but how did you get into audiobooks? So you were on NBC for years before you go into audiobooks. Mm -hmm. What are you still with them part time? Do you occasionally work for them? Uh, no, I haven't now. done anything for NBC in about five years now, four years, okay. four or five years. So then, then it was sort of intermittent, but um, mm -hmm. no, I haven't. And actually that whole, I mean, you used to go in to, you'd go down to Rockefeller Center, you'd go in there and, and record at 30 Rock. But so much of that now is done remote as well. And at the time, mm -hmm. I didn't have a studio set up in my apartment. My poor husband lost his closet. Um, yeah. It's been converted into my recording studio. That only came about because um, I just didn't want to put in a phone line and all of that stuff. I also wasn't I wasn't aware of I, the expenditure at the time, which is more than it is now. It was rarer then, so it was harder to get equipment and the you know the technical know-how. Uh, I just just wasn't sure I could make that financial investment when my work with NBC had already dropped off. Mm. And um, I think too, I'm trying to remember. It's funny because there's like a blank area in there when I'm I trying that. when I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing some writing, I think was part of it. I was doing some writing and I was doing, I had some, I had commercial work in there as well. It just was, um, but I, I think it was more, the audiobooks came about, um, and this is again, why I love the union. Um, I think it was more a matter of me exploring something because I was just bored. I wasn't particularly mm. satisfied. I was still earning a living um, yeah. via voiceover, but it wasn't like a stellar living. It was just decent and knock on wood, good enough. Yes. But, um, and residuals. Residuals, yep, um, all of that. So that was, you know, had become sort of my norm. But SAG had opened in New York City. They had invested in a voiceover lab. 
and it mm-hmm. was new. This was maybe 2014. And so I, I thought, went there. Did you? You went to the Across from Lincoln Center. I did. I was the worst one out of 30 <laughs> students in the class. And I was told that I tried to like pull a Vivian Lee. And oh after two classes, I was so embarrassed because I, I pulled the frog thing, the ribbit ribbit. I went into that little voice thing into that booth yeah. and they looked at me. They were staring at me like, what the fuck is this guy wasting our time for? And I realized after two classes that I need to get out of there. It was a great studio for people who were studious. Yeah. And then there was me. And I need to run out of my show and tell lifestyle and just flaunt my hair outside and just go back to my apartment. And I realized that not for me. I was the worst. And they said, dude, like you need to like, you know, figure something out. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm over 50. I should really think about that a little more. I thought, well, I'll just go drink a little boy's everything while I'm in New York. Dumb and dumber. But go on. It was a great oh setup for God, real people brilliant. like yourself. And it's a great space. But it is tell a great me about- space. Well, no, I mean, it was, audiobooks was the, that, that's brilliant. I could actually sort of uh, picture this, although I think, I think you're being too hard on yourself. No, still- no. And they were harsher on me than I'm on myself. And oh that's from the God. teacher to the students. And they were just Shame like staring at me like, Shame what were you thinking to even be in here? And I thought, I don't know. I just thought I would just show up because I'm a SAG member. They're like, boy, dude, the catering truck is down the block. Yeah, that's no fun. That's not that, I'm actually dismayed yeah. to hear that. That doesn't sound. Uh, yeah, mm. but it was real. And, and I appreciated the reality of it. But it was a great space. And I love that space that SAG had taken over. Yes. And it was, a, it was a good studio space for people like you. So tell me, so you kind of discovered well, the, things there. Basically, what happened was because I, I was I had a commercial career, I had a promo career. I, they were teaching classes in like ADR looping, at which mm-hmm. I hadn't done and still actually really haven't done ADR looping. Um, although I have a dear, one of my dearest friends in the city does, does do it there. And animation, although there isn't a hell of a lot of animation work in New York, there's more increasingly as with everything else, just so much over the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can be cast and recorded via, you know, via remote, but still. Um, so audiobooks was something that was offered. And I thought, well, I've always kind of been curious. Mm-hmm. And basically, the engineers who were working there at the time, uh, Jamie Matler and Iris McElroy, both took me under their wing, and they kind of shepherded me through it. And oh, Marco, I needed a hell of a lot of work. I mean, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After because, all those years of oh, working, it's a completely different animal. It is completely different. Something? It's a completely, and I'm still learning. I actually was listening to a book that was just published um, uh, two weeks ago, and I was listening to it. We coming up here for this wedding with my husband in the car last night, and I'm like, was like, mm, yeah, I can now hear what I want to be doing differently different ways to work. And so that's the other thing I love about the audiobooks is that I'm constantly evolving. I can, you know, keep getting better. It's, and it's about the only area that I feel like in voiceover right now that you can sort of securely make a living once you've sort mm-hmm. of got yourself in place. You can actually kind of count on making a steady living. I have more control over it. I'm still dependent on people to give me jobs, but yes. I'm the one who puts myself out there. I'm the one who can reach out to authors directly. I can reach out to publishers. 
that aspect of it is great. Well, and Vivian, is that done through your agent to, no. to get you the jobs for that? That's I'm very curious. How is that possible? Like so, basically, I, uh, Audible, um, uh-huh. you know, uh, which is a subsidiary of Amazon. Audible oh. has its own subsidiary. Oh, AC, brother. A, a, yeah, a platform called ACX. And at the time, when I started in 2015, ACX was about the only place uh, on the internet that was doing this. There are now other websites that are hmm. trying to creep into this space as well. But basically, ACX created a, a platform where all these independent authors, who, by the way, all these writers were discovering ways on the internet and via various platforms to publish their work and get it out to the public mm-hmm. without having to be taken on, you know, getting a, con- a contract through Random House or, you know, mm-hmm. Penguin Books. So there were these people out there who were, you know, setting up their own businesses mm-hmm. and they wanted to have audiobooks because they could see that audiobooks were beginning to increase rapidly. By the way, it is the largest sector, the fastest growing sector of the publishing industry, audiobooks. Wow. It's grown. At at this point, it's something like, I think the latest APA, Audiobook Publishers Association, um, poll was something like over 60% of Americans now listen to audiobooks fairly regularly. And the market has increased by almost a third. It Mm -hmm. it jumps a third yearly now. Um, And there's the growth. The growth is explosive. The listenership just keeps expanding. Um, So at least for the moment, the work is out there. Um, Isn't that something? It really is. So I landed in it at about the point that there was explosive growth happening. So it was, again, like with the NBC Today Show thing um, and ICM signing me back at the start of my voiceover career, lucky timing. Isn't that something? And all that is also without an agent. Now, are you saying that in the last four years, you're up to 100 books? Yeah. That to me sounds like an 80-hour work week or am I stupid? No, no, that's actually a really, that's a, that's a good projection. Actually, I'm slower than others because I was doing Mm. other things at the time. And again, like we talked about as an actor, not really marketing myself. I've only gotten better about that in the last year, but, um, okay. So let's let the audiobooks, let's say, um, you go on audible.com or any of the sites and you see that, uh, the audiobook is 10 hours and 35 minutes. That's, mm-hmm. that's, you're buying a book for 10 hours and 35 minutes worth of listening time. Okay. At our production end, depending upon the title, nonfiction, fiction. The doorbell rang again. She stumbled downstairs, realizing that the collar of her blouse was soaked with sweat. On the doorstep was Detective Mortensen. I'm sorry if I woke you, Dr. McLeod, he said. He edged forward a step. May I come in? Grace let him in, then went to splash her face with cold water and change hurriedly into jeans and a T-shirt. If there are accents, you've helped me out putting me together. And I needed someone to help me with words in Sinhalese, which is Mm -hmm. not a language I speak. These are the things that are going to slow you down a bit. But figure the recording ratio once you are kind of up and running as an audiobook narrator and have, say, maybe 20 books under your belt. You're lucky if you can get a two and a half to one ratio. So it'll take me maybe about two to two and a half hour, two hours to record one finished hour of material. That's when Uh. I'm moving 
at a clip, when it's easy dialogue, when um, it's not a lot of complex language and thoughts, that can balloon to about three hours per finished hour. That's still hour-ish. not a lot. That's it's pretty not. fast. It's still, it's still, but it, it can, then you add production time onto that. And so for mm. every hour of listening that someone is doing, the proofing, the quality control, the mastering, it's anywhere from, it's, I think they, the industry standard is about six hours per one hour of listening time. So, okay. and, but then there's also prep work. Like for instance, now when I finish the call with you, I'm going back to yes. prep a book. So I'll read, I read whatever I'm given in advance. So I have at least an idea of where the story is going, what characters, yes. if it's, if it's fiction and I've got dialogue, I'll highlight, I'll highlight the characters parts so that when I go back to actually do the narration, I can see who's coming and I'm ready to, to go with that character. And you do all the characters? Yes. Because I saw, I heard something I was, was clicking on and listening to and I heard you do two or three different characters mm-hmm. as you're reading through it with a different voice mm-hmm. for each character, which I loved because I'm not a big audio book guy yet, but I thought, oh, this is really good. And I tapped into the characters just by having my coffee listening to it within a five minute period well it's hard for an ADE boy to tap into that but you did that so that's what you do yes yes and there are also multicast situations although they're rarer because they're more expensive um but uh sometimes you will get dual or uh dual narrations if and they decide it's a point of view thing where mm. for instance a book that i just had released uh two uh, two weeks ago um it, there's a male narrator on it and a female narrator and his stuff is all first person the author wrote um, mm-hmm. in that character. And then there is the point of view for, uh, from the female character, but she's third person. So all of my stuff is third person. He's doing first person narration, but at no point is he speaking during my chapters or am I speaking during his chapters? So at times I'm giving voice to him and he's giving voice to, well, he's not giving voice to me because he's first person, but um, you will see that a lot, that you will listen to a book sometimes with three or four narrators on it, and they have to find a way to try and be at least not so inconsistent in the type of character they're projecting. So it's less about, can I imitate your accent than it is, mm. do I have your quality? Who is this character? What do they want? It's So it's mm. acting. It really is acting. And you're not in the same room recording this, no. are you? Everybody's doing their own part, yes. kind of like a Streisand album. Absolutely. She has all her people. They never yeah, have to touch her. They're in no. Iowa. You know, she's hanging out in Malibu by the beach <laughs> doing her way we were stuff. I said, okay, so you're doing your mm-hmm in your exactly. place. Exactly. I Which see. is why I can wear my pajamas. Or as I said to you, when I come, I'm like, do I have to put on makeup for this? And you're like, no, <laughs> I brushed yeah. my teeth for you though, Marco. I did oh, brush good, my good, teeth good. before we I talking. brushed twice. I just didn't <laughs> want bad breath to cross the screen. I'm really big on that. So it's just, I'm, I'm hypersensitive on breath, <laughs> senses and smells. I have so much cologne on. I'm surprised that my ticket isn't passing out right now. I'm beyond Euro trash at this time. It's scary when it was 6 a.m. And it's like a morning hug and it's like he's coughing. I'm like, what you coughing? It's my cologne. But I do downscale when I'm on an airplane. I don't want to scare off the white people because they get freaked out, you. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm very polite in that respect because it just sits on me, this cologne. It's just, you know. Is it a particular but, one 
have? I have a variety of Euro trash colognes. Signature fragrance. I used to many 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 years ago. It used to be Kuros, which was the Greek Yves Saint Laurent thing way back then. But now I have a variety of Euro trashy. They have to be French or Italian, and that's it. And then I just kind of stick to that, and I. You know, but it depends on what I'm wearing, depends on the season, depends on, you know, everything depends on it. But if I go outdoors, like, you know, for a bike ride, I don't wear cologne because I just don't do those things. But I wear it all the time. But it depends on the clothes. I have to feel that cologne with the right attire. I get and it. the right venue. It just yeah. has to be. And I don't want to go to a steakhouse wearing a lot of cologne because then no. it drowns out the meat. And I like the smell of meat if I'm going to a steakhouse. So I don't want to be the meat. No. I want the meat to shine. And again, I want to be that slice of lemon or a little caper on the side when it comes to garnish, the food flavor. A little garnish. Just a garnish. I'm good at being the garnish on the side. But when I'm the meat, I want to be the meat. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but so <laughs> these books. <laughs> Wait, just let me stay with that thought for a moment. We are. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to slap you with the meat because that's another, that's a Saturday night conversation. It starts at 3 a.m. just to know, let you people know, not to freak anybody out. But oh, I, I, so, I think we need to pick up this conversation then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The part two is coming soon. Um, Vivian, so you guys record separately. Who puts it all together? And, and are you well compensated for these um, books? No, <laughs> no. What? No, no, no. It's actually, it's funny. That was part of the reason that I didn't. And are the residuals? No, no. It's a you, buyout. It's, it's, it's a buyout. And you get paid mm. by what they call the per finished hour. So when I mm. said that 10 hour, 35 minutes, I'm not getting paid for the two and a half hours put into that it's it's the 10 hour and 35 minute book is what the price is the fee is based on. But I have managed to bump up to the highest rate. I've earned, I'm earning enough now just doing audiobooks, solely audiobooks. That's been my sole income actually this last year. And I'm actually at my highest level of health insurance. So, and for me, and very nice. So I'm like, score that. That's one way I look at it. But also, uh, I mean, it's, so there are no residuals and that can be, you know, that's true Mm -hmm. for, uh, any of the huge big sellers, you know, you could be narrating a Stephen yeah. King book, but they're going to negotiate that at uh, perhaps a slightly higher rate. And, you know, you've got people now like Scarlett Johansson doing mm-hmm. audiobooks. It was a field that just like commercials at one time where the big stars didn't do it. They are now. Yeah. Isn't that something they're, They've got their finger in everything, all the biggies. That's something but it's they need to diversify. So, yeah, isn't that something? So and so there are no residuals There's a bio. So there's a lump sum that you are that you are paid uh, and, and that's it. And then you move on to the next book. Yep. Who who edits this and puts these puts all these voices together? OK, so when I'm working in the uh, when I'm producing myself, which is how I started, it's how I broke into audiobooks, because Penguin uh-huh. Random House, Harper, Collins, Macmillan, they weren't going to hire an unknown. Um, yeah. I needed to I needed to get some books under my belt. So I was working on this platform, ACX, and connecting directly with these independent authors. And I've been really lucky in the women, and primarily women, uh, one or two male authors, but they have been loyal. And I'm, I'm on my third series with one of these authors, an Australian author, Anna Hackett. Hmm. Um, I'm on my third series with her. And so she's kept me employed for the last four years, as has Lindsay Baroker, who I'm now about to start my fifth series with. Um, fifth and I, series. Yeah. And so these were books that I was responsible for doing everything, soup to nuts. But since I am not, 
I can't do Carson's work. I yeah. am. I don't have the head for it. I actually pay out someone. So I hire an engineer and a mm. proofer to do all of that and then mix my files. So I'll do the initial recording um, and I do it myself. I'm alone in my yeah. studio. I use a particular type of software. I record and then I send off the audio files. They get engineered and proofed. I do pickups. Then it gets mastered mm. and sent off to the client. When I'm working for Macmillan, when I'm working for Harper Publishers, I send them my audio files or I go into their studios. Um, I was at Audible Studios. Audible does their own recorded books. I was in at Audible on Monday this week recording mm -hmm. there. So I love going into the studio because you actually have an engineer sitting there. There's an, actually a human being in you know the glass wall in the booth across yes. from actually listening. And so that's kind of great. Um, but otherwise it's, it's me alone. It's all, most of us alone in our booths by ourselves, recording, stopping, starting. Wow. I would be stir crazy woman, like stir crazy. I can't be alone in an airport bathroom <laughs> on the plane. I, well, I'm <laughs> stir crazy. Like I need company just to go exfoliate. And there you are hours on end. I'm two minutes in there and I'm like, I got to get out of here. But good on you that you can do all these things, Vivian, and you've made a living and basically you're, you're hitting up to a hundredth audio book in just a few years and it's your full-time gig. You can always go back into acting at some point, Absolutely. you know, as because now you could be an actress at 80. It doesn't really matter. The world right. has changed. But right now you're doing great with what you're doing. Yep. And I'm also, I've also been teaching uh, some voiceover, but audiobooks primarily, and I'm have been loving that as well. So it's kind of opened that area for me too. So it's another part of myself that is, is being accessed. It's, it's been great, actually. Wow. I feel like I landed well. And it satisfies, yeah, it's, it satisfies everything. I can't say the promo work did. It was a job. I was lucky, so lucky to be doing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's not a lot to do with. And tomorrow, on today, we'll talk to you. You know, there's only so much you can do with that. You hit your beats, you go. But this yeah. allows me, and I'm learning a lot too, you know, um, with the books that I'm reading, the particularly the nonfiction stuff. It's been fascinating. What a fascinating career. I've never met anybody who actually does audiobooks, voiceovers, I've heard. But this is what a transition from theater to a couple of films here and there to voiceovers to audio. And you're like, you're there. You're that mature woman now who's very... <laughs> who's satisfied and, yeah. and can work and now can juggle other things if you need to and play with because you're in that satisfactory position. It's kind of a great zone, isn't it? Well, you know what yeah. feeling it is. Yeah, I'm, like, feeling, I'm zoned right. out all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I, I like being zoned. I'm zoning. <laughs> Depends on the hair product. <laughs> you are but, totally zoning right now. Totally, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally in Whee! the television zone. Yeah. That's funny. Vivian, thank you so much for, for sharing this story, which I can't wait for people to listen to, because I know that a lot of people don't know anything about it. And um, it's it's fascinating to to hear the woman behind the voice of of 100 books and different series and and the former voice of promos for NBC. <laughs> you know, that's Mark, that's that's your commercial you. success. That's your commercial claim to fame. Thank you. It was wow. such a pleasure. I just love seeing your Me beautiful too. face. Me too, and vice versa, without vice makeup versa. or with, with makeup. You look fabulous. Just fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. Love you, love you. So thank you so much. We're going to, we'll wrap it up. You got, you got it. Thank you for this. Thanks, Vivian. Bye thank you, you honey. Bye-bye. That concludes our conversation with audiobook extraordinaire Vivian Lahaney. 
Until next time, this is Marco Kira signing off. Yeah.